Carl Durrell. Welcome back to the Conference of Champions. Everybody is excited that you're here. Can't you tell? The Pac-12 is clearly. Um, Washington's athletic director contradicts Arizona State's president about the state of resources and the necessity in the Pac-12. Arizona State is on my Oregon fan nerves just for 2019-2020 though. And we got fans emails and we're talking Pac-12 basketball tournament and the March Madness is coming up. I'm George Reister with Ralph Amsden and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Make sure that you leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. And also always share with other people. Um, next episode, I believe we are going to have a special guest um, who I won't name right now. But even I will tell Ralph, he's going to be super excited. I, I, I didn't want to spoil it for him, but I'm going to leave him in anticipation as well. But uh, Ralph, you are excited, right? Aren't you excited to welcome Carl Durrell to the Pac-12? Well, back to the Pac-12. I don't know if I'm excited. I I, I will tell you this. I'm okay with it. Like I, I think it was an okay hire. I, I just don't. There's been a lot of people kind of melting down a little bit. You know, if you if you actually saw the school's official announcement posted on social media, there are quite a few Colorado fans. Um, and I, I, you saw this with Arizona State and Herm Edwards as well, that are just like, I'm done with season tickets. I'm done giving money. You know, that there were that it seems like there are some people that feel as though this was disastrous. And I just I'm not there with it. I mean, uh, they're the game of football for for all of its intricacies away from the field it's it's pretty simple what you have to do on it and uh, that's somebody who actually had a modicum of success in this conference and who has had an entire career coaching at the highest level so i mean i'm very interested to see what he can do you certainly can't say he's not qualified um so yeah i mean i i'm just i'm more curious as to how you know, he's going to accomplish some of the the things that, you know, have gone on since he's been out of the college game. I know he had the one year stint at Vanderbilt, but that's not enough to really get a feel for all the things that you have to be responsible for in the age of the transfer portal and, you know, of, of uh, just updated crazy. But I think the budget alone of what, you know, what he's going to be dealing with from the last time he coached at UCLA exponentially higher. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it's going to be kind of a cool thing to see as a fan of this conference and somebody who, you know, watched him coach in person quite a bit back at, you know, those were the years, uh, I think for a couple of those years, I was still in school. And so, you know, um, I, I think one of the big issues for him when he was at UCLA is he had a hard time replacing some of the really good players that were there when he got there. Um, and so it's, can he recruit? And who's he going to surround himself with? Those those are questions that you have for any coach that comes into this. But for somebody who has spent such a, you know, 12 of the last 13 seasons in the NFL or whatever, those are those are pretty loud, resounding questions. You know, how is he going to staff up and how how is he going to conduct uh, this program? But 
as far as what happens on the field, you know, people talk about him not necessarily having a whole bunch of success, but you know what also he didn't have a whole bunch of was disastrous seasons. Like he, he did all right. And I think that, you know, coming back into it 13 years later with all the experience and connections that he has at the NFL level, uh, it's working a little bit for ASU so far. Maybe it'll work for them. Dude, I was disgusted with how people responded to the Carl Durrell hire. Just absolutely just just disgusted. And it made it was just ridiculous to me. Granted, he wasn't at the on the list of people who you thought was going to get the job. But let's just say some of the names that were thrown out, like Eric Bienemy, he wasn't coming. Like, stop. Like, yes, that would have been an out. That would have been a home run hire for Colorado. But that was a long shot and it wasn't happening. But the reason why is, well, well, before we even get to that, the first thing is the Pac-12, when they put out their press announcement, Ralph tagged me in a tweet. (laughs) And the Pac-12 is clearly excited. It just matters more here. Uh, But they spelled the man's name wrong. Spelled his name wrong in the in a tweet. Like, come on, man. Like, what are we doing here? This reminded me of Ralph when I was playing with the with the Jaguars. I had been the starting tight end there for a couple of years. Um, I come back. My next door neighbor was the equipment manager, the head equipment manager, literally right next door. Drew lived right there. I come back in one off season. So I think it's my third or fourth year there. My, uh, I think it's fourth year there. Come in. They had redone the locker room a little bit. New name plates, all of this, because they kind of slide in, slide out like they do uh, at most jobs. And I look up. Everything looks great. I notice my name is spelled wrong. It's spelled W-R-I-G-H-T-S-T-E-R. So I slide it out, calmly walk into Drew's office, the equipment manager, and I'm like, what's going on here, brother? Like, like it, it, it made me feel so valued. <laughs> the fact that I've been there going on my fourth year and they didn't spell my name correctly. I, I, I was like, oh, clearly, clearly, clearly this is wrong. And he was like, yo, I just gave the roster to the uh, company who made him. I didn't have anything to do with it. I apologize. <laughs> they messed up. But still, it still made me feel very, very loved, of course. Right. I mean, that's that's the biggest complaint that I get when I'm talking about, uh, you know, I could write a glowing article about a high school football player, a college football player. If I spell their name wrong, that's the only thing they see. So, yeah. Anyway, I mean, welcome to the Pac-12, Carl Farrell. That's your name now, uh, because as we know, this conference does no wrong. So if they say your name is Farrell, your name is Farrell. That's uh that's how it is. <laughs> yeah, it just means more on the Facebook live post. But here, here's the thing that disgusted me, though, is how Colorado fans reacted. And even some people in the national media uh, reacted to the Carl Durrell hire. I'm sitting there like, hold on. Look at the people who who they wanted to hire. Jim McElwain? Jim McElwain hasn't been good since he was at Colorado State. Then he went to Florida, destroyed Florida. But now you want, he he was the guy you wanted to hire. You're more excited about him, about a guy who bombed in his last job than, uh, than Carl Durrell. 
Oh, but then, oh, how about Jay Norvell at Nevada? They went three and nine in his de- de- debut in his first year, and they've won 15 games and played in two bowl games over the last two years. But that's not like outstanding. Oh, I didn't. How- I didn't. I didn't realize Jay Norvell's name got floated. I had no yeah. idea. That- yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's a uh, he's. I like him at a smaller program. He's kind of rules yeah. with an iron fist a little bit, and and uh, yeah, I, I I didn't even realize. Yes. That's wild. How how about Steve Sarkeesian? Seven win Sark. Who who I hate who, it. who I hate huh? It. I hate yes. It. Thank you. These are the people that they wanted, and and you're upset about it, dude. Uh, oh oh, Darren Cheverini, Shever, give it to the wide receivers coach. Okay, like whatever. I mean, he had been an interim coach for there, but he's got no head coaching experience at the FBS level. I mean, like, what did you think was going on? Like, I would have rather, like, honestly, aside from if they didn't give it to somebody like Carl Durrell, I I, I would have rather they gave it to Andy Avalos, defensive coordinator from Oregon, or Graham Harrell, which I don't think would have been good hires, but still. I, I just don't get the negative reaction from a guy getting a second chance 17 years later when Bill Belichick bombed with the Browns the first time. Pete Carroll bombed with the Jets. Mike Riley went from Arizona State to Nebraska. N- nothing doing. He could probably get another head coach at some point in jo- time. Uh, Brett Bielema? He was terrible at his last stop at Arkansas. But this is the guy you want to get the job? Like I, I, Adam Gase, Miami to the Jets still failing. I, go, I just why. I, I and, wonder, and, I just with the Bielema thing, I just wonder if he's got a super powerful agent or something because it's just, he gets linked to all of this stuff all of the time. And speaking of people who get linked to everything, USC has had Graham Harrell for one year and he's been about to take 30 different jobs now. <laughs> <laughs> right. At, at some point, you got to figure like he's either staying at USC because he believes he'll be the guy if they quit on clay helton mid-season or or it's just his agent making noise where there is none because uh, you know cliff kingsbury he did a great job of striking while the iron was hot you know going from being fired at texas tech to hired at usc to hired at the arizona cardinals you know all within the matter of a couple of months you figure that graham harrell if he's going to be linked to all this stuff anywhere you go it's starting over it's job security especially if it's a head job so you know, the, the fact that he, I, it just makes you wonder, is he actually in play for any of this? Are people just thinking like that offense is so sexy that everybody has to have something to do with it? Or is it just being floated out there just because it's, a, a you know, his agent trying to keep things relevant? You never know. But uh, I just it, I am genuinely shocked at the amount of things that are on Graham Harrell's resume in relation to the amount of jobs he gets linked to. Oh, it. A hundred percent agree. And that's why I'm like, okay, how if I, how am I big, big, because mind you, I talk about the issue and the plight of minority coaches, right? How it's harder for them to get opportunities, jobs, yeah. even when there are, they represent 70% of the workforce in the NFL and in a high portion in college football as well. And I'm just wondering where when you don't have a ton of African-American head coaches, 
And I'm just wondering how am I not to, and I'm the person who calms everybody down and like, yo, like everything is not racist. There are some geographic differences, things that the, the way you were raised, there are some biases, but it's not just racism. It's a lot of times ignorance to how things are really, really out in the real world and how people think. And those things can be changed as opposed to racism, which is different. So how am I not supposed to think that there is not some sort of like, you, you know, that there's some sort of enhanced like bias or something when people want all these retread head coaches. But it's a it's a disaster if Carl Durrell gets a job after coaching in the NFL for the last what? pretty much the last 12 years and it's been 17 years since he was at UCLA and he wasn't awful. He just wasn't great. Right. Right. I mean, he, he certainly, uh, his run kind of mirrors uh, coach Mack who they had before. Yeah. Before. Am I even allowed to say his name? I've, I've heard so many people refer to him as a, as a traitor. Um, Mike McIntyre. No, not Mike McIntyre, his replacement. Um, but I, I feel oh, like... Oh, uh, Mel Tucker. Yes, I guess. See, I don't want to say it, but you you can go ahead. Uh, but Mel Tucker, I, Mel Tucker, Mel Tucker. I'll say <laughs> it. But I, 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 I will say that Carl Durrell's head coaching record kind of resemble. It reminds me of Coach Max. And I don't think any of us would bat an eye if Coach Mac got a head coaching job somewhere else. Exactly. I mean, the wheels fell off there at the end, but would they have if it wasn't for injury? Uh, listen, listen, we it, this is a results-based business. And granted, yes, he, I mean, it was the, it was the two years, like kind of adding them to adding them both up that kind of, you know, kind of met with his exit because Colorado is a weird program to me because they're a team that was a powerhouse in college football, Heisman trophy, you know, in the national championship conversation, well-respected Colorado. Yeah. They destroyed their athletic department. They didn't, they started hiring coaches on like one year contracts, not giving them long-term job security. I mean, like there was so much stuff that was going on, you know, like that it just didn't make sense. You know what I mean? So I, 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 I just want, I just want, want better Ralph. It's frustrating to me. What do you think of Carl Durrell coming out in his introductory press conference and saying we can win right now? Do you think that that was a smart move for him? Because I think, you know, they're kind of impatient. The thing I worry about with him is, you know, they're not going to have the patience that they had with Mel Tucker, you know, going five and seven in his first year. Because he went five and seven, which is exactly what they did the year before. And everyone's like, Colorado's on the rise, you know, when nothing had actually changed. If Carl Durrell comes out and goes five and seven, I don't, I don't feel like people are going to give him that same benefit of the doubt because of just the previous experience of it's been a while since they've been in a bowl. And so you think it was smart for him to come out and say, we can win right now? Uh, no, no. Cause the uh, truth is, is that the cupboard was thin. It wasn't, wasn't bare at Colorado, but it was thin. They didn't have a whole lot of depth. They 
don't know who their quarter. I mean, they're not sure who their quarterback is going to be for next year. You know, I am for Colorado a successful season to me. Obviously looks like going six and six and making a bowl game. That would be a successful season. So if that, if that's what winning now looked, looks like, then yes, he can potentially win now. But I think that winning now ultimately looks like probably another five and seven season, but he's got to kill it in recruiting a big, because recruiting is what gives people hope because we talked about Colorado's recruiting class from this 2020 recruiting class and praised them and said, this can be a cornerstone for what they're doing going forward. So if you can then sign another quality recruiting class, then people will say, all right, all right. You know, that's what gives people hope because even if they don't go to a bowl game, but they stay competitive on, on the field. Cause, cause remember the, uh, the, the previous year, coach max last year, they were getting kind of housed when they lost those seven straight games. And they got housed in a few. And in Mel Tucker's games, they were losing close ones. And it was just, for for the most part, close ones. And then they were able to not finish the season, you know, on that huge seven, eight game losing streak. They actually won at the end. So I, I, I think that success and winning now are relative. And I think that Colorado fans want the glory days back. But with the state of the Pac-12 right now, I don't know like if those glory days can come back at the pace that Colorado fans really want them. Because without the support and resources and finances like the SEC and Big Ten have, it makes it significantly harder to rebuild your program in a hurry. Which leads us to what we talked about in the last podcast, which Michael Crow from ASU was saying that, oh, resources don't matter. All the the Olympic sports are just as important. We're not going to value, you know, Larry Scott has such a tough job, all of that. And Jen Cohen, Washington's AD, completely, you know, said the opposite. They asked her about the revenue gap between the Pac-12 and the other conferences. She said the revenue gap is real, right? I mean, resources matter. And the most important resources we have is our people. So there's a direct tie between financials and our people. People being coaches, all that. Yeah, so you have to be smart with the resources. And when you have less, you have to be smart about how you're going to distribute those. I think our biggest challenge, not just here, but as a conference, is how do we distribute the funds that we have and the revenues that we do have in, in an appropriate fashion to make sure that we're competing in football and men's basketball. Hum. Wow. Ralph. Ralph, I thought I, I thought women didn't didn't understand big time college 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 sports that men just know no more. Why? I, I, like th- this is just a basic level. Like th- this is why she's an AD and why, you know, gender doesn't matter in these things. This is just a smart person talking, seeing what's what. What was your take from? Uh, She said a couple of things that stood out to me. One of them 
was that she would like for somebody else to be in charge of scheduling instead of just instead of just you know University of Washington trying to schedule their own games uh that more of an NFL model and which got me thinking I you know I wouldn't mind if the number 6 team from the Big 10 had to play the number 6 team from the Pac 12 next year you know like like there was just that one rotating game that was determined by where you finished and it set up some parody and then you play the one game that you're sort of contracted to play against the local FCS school and then you let your you let your team set one of the other games to schedule i think you know it'd be nice to just partially kind of take it out of the the school's hands um because I, that would at least guarantee that some schools that have gotten away with scheduling lightly couldn't um and so i and i found that portion of it interesting and I don't know, um, you know, when she talked about the perception of the Pac-12, I'm not sure I got the same vibe as you. It felt like she was also sort of saying that, like, the narrative doesn't necessarily mean truth. It just means narrative. Because, you know, when she she said, I just think it's funny because the whole perception is becoming an issue that didn't exist before. Uh, it works against us now because people keep writing about it all the time and talking about it all the time. I mean, outside of last year, didn't the big 10 have two years of not going to the college football playoff? Did anybody talk about it? It didn't seem like it. So that's just the narrative that continues to go. Schools are using that against us now in recruiting because that's been the narrative. Even though last year you look at Oregon and Utah, those are two great football teams. And then things didn't end the way it could have to get somebody to college football playoff. So, you know, I think she had the opportunity right there to to flat out admit that like, hey, this is not just perception, it's reality. But what I think she did there was say that like one or two things go differently. The Pac-12 has a college football playoff representative and nobody's talking about this. So the only reason uh. people are using this against the, the Pac-12 and recruiting is just because they can because someone hasn't stepped up. But like you always say, the results are the results, right? And so- yep. Um, if Oregon can't get it done at ASU and Utah can't get it done against Oregon, then, you know, I think maybe it has something to do with the way the conference is set up and built and schedules. And you know, you have to travel further than you have to travel in any other conference to play your conference games. You play more conference games than most of the other conferences. Um, and then you have less, less resources. So I think it's more than perception. I yeah, think I that well, the results are actually indicative of the state of the conference in relation to other conferences. That's what I think. I think it, I I agree, but I also disagree too with, 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 with you and with her. So I think that yes, she's right about that. The perception thing that it, yeah, it is a narrative that's being pushed, but the narrative that, I've been talking about and that me and you have been talking about and that other people have been talking about is not just about the college football playoff. It's about the financial situation, which affects the college football playoff. That it's not just about making the college football playoff because we, we see sometimes teams make it, but don't have the ability to win that you need the horses that you need better players within the conference. I mean, there's a, you you can't deny that the SEC is sending more players to the combine than any other conference. 
Right. That they're just, having more players drafted than any other conference. So that's why I just don't like the way that it's phrased. Like I could say, you know, you know what? Since I've been married, I've, I've maybe gained about an average of four to five pounds a year. Okay. And, uh, and, and that, that, that's married life. Right. And that's aging and you got to kind of fight against it. I'm working on getting in shape or whatever, but that'd be like me sitting back and saying like, you know what? I feel like the narrative out there that people are using against me is that I'm fat and lazy. But the truth is I've had plenty of opportunities to work out and eat healthy that I just didn't take. <laughs> George, how is that not the same goddamn thing? It is the same thing. Okay. Okay. You have, you have convinced me. It is the same thing. Um, and I, I, I just at least like the fact that she pointed out that the revenue gaps are real, that this is not a, you know, a, oh, just a temporary situation that things do need to get fixed. And also the fact that football and basketball should be prioritized. And I, because they make the most money. I mean, if, if, Okay, in in my house, right? So should I? So should my number one priority or my wife's number one priority be figuring out our garden, or should it be all right? Let's figure out how we're going to make money to pay for our house. Like that should be a higher priority than than the garden in the back. Then making sure the garden is our number one priority. Would you agree with that? Well, uh, I, yeah, in in theory, yes, but as a stay-at-home dad who is growing peppers in my office, <laughs> I would love that. If, I would love if it could be the other way around, but it's a luxury, right? I, I, the fact that I get to do those things is a luxury based on the prior work that I've put in, and the fact that my wife is uh, doing all right for us. And so, but you're right. You're absolutely right. Like the you sometimes the things that are out there that are that are are more of a luxury um end up taking precedence because guess what if you're not winning in football and you're not winning in basketball but rowing is getting you national championships every year you're going to want to hold up rowing and talk about how special it is but the truth of the matter is that's not a sustainable thing for the pac-12 you know rowing they, they have rowing will go away right? Row, <laughs> rowing can't yes. pay for rowing if football doesn't pay for rowing Right, so why the calling yourself the Conference of Champions is, you know, it, it would be like the Reister House of Gardening. Like, yeah, that's what you can you that you're good at it. It's fantastic, but like that's not what you do, and that's not you, there the are other Conference of that, Champions of things that don't make money right now. So right, <laughs> so you have to focus on the money. Granted. Like you don't have to focus like you have to focus on figuring out ways to make your money, but also figuring out ways to make your product more popular and more, you know, um, like more appealing to people who will then pay for it because it's just like a television show. I was just talking to to a young young kid about this, um, about how television really works. Everybody thinks that, you know, that all these actors, that they make money, that they make TV shows to entertain people. No, they make television shows and put sports games on television to sell commercials. Yeah. Like, that's the whole, it's not because there's some, oh, we need entertainment. No, they're trying to sell commercials 
ads, product placements, because that's where the money is. They only, the only reason why a, the cast of friends can make a million dollars an episode or what, whatever shows that have made that is because so many people watch it and it's so popular that they can sell commercials for more. That's right, because the only Mr. reason. Mr. Clean and Budweiser are, are, are willing to make it happen. Yep. That, those are the real MVPs of that. So the conference has to really, you know, like be willing to admit it and do something different. But here's what did. I think. She said, she said the revenue gap is real, right? I mean, resources mm-hmm. matter. The most important resource we have is our people. And so, you know, she, she realizes she gets it. Yep. She, she absolutely gets it. But I think that people who, uh, <laughs> people who are really red pilled about this situation understand that a change needs to be made. Yeah. And that, that's what she stops short of, of, of doing here, which yeah, is, but I don't would think probably be unwise make, for her. Correct. Yeah. It would be unwise as the athletic director that says that we need new leadership and, That may be with, you know, there's some new presidents coming, new athletic directors coming in. So there may be change um, before that 2020, that 2022 contract runs out for the man in charge. Um, But here is the idea I wanted to float by you, Ralph, is ASU's president, Michael Crow, when he made the comments last (laughs) week about... Larry Scott having such Larry a difficult, yeah. yeah, backing Larry Scott, who's got such a difficult job. The conference is positioned in a great place, blah, blah, blah. Could this be Michael Crow, like, uh, like liking the fact that UCLA is running in a deficit? Cal had to have their deficit covered by the, um, by the school, and that Washington state is suffering, Oregon state is suffering that he is happy because this allows Arizona state who out of all the schools in the PAC 12 receives the most money from the university over $21 million and Cal receives $0. Oregon gets 241,000 and UCLA gets 2.6 and then up to Washington at 3.8. So the Arizona so Arizona State gets the most money by far from the university. Then they're able to make money, donations, all of these things and they're able to run in the black. But is this a conspiracy for him? I mean, even on top of backing Larry Scott cuz he's one of the people who helped bring him in that he sees that Arizona State is actually coming up and doing well. Is this a conspiracy route? Uh, I think that I think that's just the nature of being in a conference with other people, right? Like you want to live in the nicest neighborhood, but you don't want everybody else's nice house in the nice neighborhood to be nicer than your house. Right. So like yeah. <laughs> you, you want your neighbor to have the pigeon problem, but you, you don't want your neighbor's house to burn to the ground. You don't want your neighbor to be a convicted felon. You just want your stuff to be a little bit better than your neighbor's stuff. But in order for your stuff to be nice, your, your neighbors still have to have nice stuff. So it's just the whole frenemies thing. You know, you, you want the conference to have prestige 
so that you can in relation have prestige it's like the whole like girls at the at the club thing like you 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 want to you don't want to be the ugly friend but you don't want your friends to be so attractive that like even if you're not the ugly friend that you look like the ugly friend right so it's the rising tide rises or, or raises all boats so the conference needs to be healthy it absolutely needs to but there's got to be that in the back of anybody's head michael crow included that like anything that doesn't go right for anybody else is something that arizona state can take advantage of that's how coaches recruit not so not just talking about university presidents but i mean that's how these coaches go out and they they find these little perceptions that exist out there and they really dig into them and then you know they'll celebrate the fact that you went pac 12 if you commit to their school but they just got done taking a crap all over all the other 11 pac 12 schools <laughs> So, you know, it's just, I think that's just the nature of the game. It's sort of a frenemies type deal um, where you, you don't want terrible things to happen to them. They you just don't want it to be better than what you have. Well, I think he is happy with watching UCLA, Cal, and whoever else is, you know, kind of around their level right right now, kind of burn. And he's like, oh, yes, we're we're coming up. But in reality, it reminds me of a story to Cal Brady that I experienced with Cal Brady when I was uh, playing for the Jaguars when I was young. I remember Kyle used to always get excited for me when I did something well. He'd be like, dude, good job, man. You got better at that. He was a veteran. I'm trying to take his job. And I couldn't understand. And I was like, Kyle, I put him to the side. I was like, yo, how can you cheer for me when I'm trying to take your job? So, George, the thing that you have to understand is this, is the way this the way sports works, particularly pro- professional sports in particular. He said, if you do poorly. That doesn't mean that I get to keep my job. Only me doing well gets me to keep my job, because if you do poorly and I do poorly, they'll fire us both and find new people to do it. So I can be happy for you and root for your success because I like you and it not be reflective upon me. And I was like, geez. And that's the similar situation with the Pac-12 schools is that you can be happy for, you know, for the whole conference doing well. Because just because everybody else is doing poorly and you're doing great, that doesn't like a rising what was it? A rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. Yeah. Same way. Like the, the better that everybody else does, that means the better that you have to be. I mean, because I've I've hear people from other schools say, Oh, I'm happy you USC is down. We can win the conference. We can do this. No, that doesn't mean that you're a better team. It just means that you may get a couple fake, uh, a couple fake conference uh Pac-12 South championships and then lose to the team in the North. Like that doesn't mean that you're better. It just means that you're just not the worst right right now, which doesn't get you any closer to the ultimate goal of the conference being respected, being financially solvent and secure, and being and just being respected on that national level. I, I just don't get it, Ralph. Yeah, and that's that's an enormous philosophical <laughs> philosophical divide. Words are hard, but it, I, you know, I'm going on a podcast tonight called "Speak of the Devils." It's a, a one that that's run by a couple of guys down here um, that cover Arizona State, 
And it's a really, really wildly popular show. And one of the co-hosts of that show, Joe Healy, who is the son of the voice of the Sun Devils, Tim Healy, he is like doctrinally tied to the idea that you do not need to support anybody other than yourself. It's almost like that Ayn Rand philosophy of like, being selfish is good, right? Because you can't give what you don't have. You just worry about you and because there is no, to him, there's no empirical evidence that anybody else doing well actually helps you. Uh, and so, and, and I, I think, you know, I, I, I'm not as super sold you know, we do this podcast obviously, but I'm not as super sold on the whole, like back the pack idea. I think when it comes to your rival, I think there should definitely be some exceptions. If you don't like a certain team or you don't like a certain coach, do you or whatever. But I, I don't understand being completely philosophically opposed to rooting for, or to rooting against every single PAC 12 school, because every single thing that they do wrong makes you look better by comparison. But that that's his outlook is that every game that any other team loses, any mistake that they make, any coach that they're not able to retain is just another thing that you can take advantage of um, if you're Arizona State. And I'm sure that that'll come up tonight because that's something that comes up every time that, you know, we we talk. And I, I'm I'm more with you definitely than I than I am with him because I genuinely believe that, you know, at the end of the day, sports is for entertainment. And uh, there's nothing more entertaining than quality teams in quality competition period. You know, I, I, what doesn't matter what I'm watching, if it's the Olympics, you know, I want you. Yeah. I want USA to win every single gold medal and every single event, but damn, if it isn't 10 times more interesting when it's the 1980 miracle and USA should right. even be part of the conversation and they go and blow up a team. That's supposed to be the best of the best of the best. That's 10 times better to me is that if everybody's competing at the highest level on the world stage, it just means more when you win. And so with the Pac-12, it's, you know, I think that with any level of competition, I, I certainly love it when you have two teams that are in pursuit of the college football playoff, one that one will be elevated by knocking the other team off and the other one will, it'll cost them a huge opportunity. You know, that's the stuff that happens in the SEC every single year. And that's the stuff that I would love to be happening in the Pac-12. I would love that. And, the, and that's why, like, it's a crabs in the bucket mentality. I, when I'm a back the pack guy. So when USC, even though I don't like USC, USC plays Alabama, I want USC to win. I, even if, and, and my wife's a UCLA fan, and I'm hoping that she can deal with them winning if it, I doubt it's going to happen, but I would rather it happen. Could there be any better story from the Pac 12 than USC beating Alabama, Alabama going to go run through the SEC? And then, and and then your team, whoever your perspective team is, goes and beats USC. Is there a better scenario for a Pac-12 team? No, I think that would be fantastic. It'd be fantastic for USC to be able to take out the quarterback that they lost out on. You know, yeah. Bryce Young ends up winning that starting job for his one of his first games to be you know playing against the team that he spurned, and for them to take that game. That'd be huge. That would be yep. enormous, especially with so much on the line for for USA. I would say the one place that this conference doesn't lack in comparison to other conferences is drama. And you just want that to end up being a good kind of drama. You know, for sure. And, 
and 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 I think that you know this season is really set up to be pretty special if a couple of teams can take care of business. Totally agree. Totally agree. And even as an Oregon fan, I'll be rooting for Michigan. I'm sorry, against Michigan when they travel to Husky Stadium. I would I want Washington to win that game. And then Oregon, I want obviously want Oregon to beat Ohio State and Washington fans should want Oregon to beat Ohio State because of because of Oregon can beat Ohio State and then Washington can turn around and beat Oregon. What does that say about Washington? Says you're damn good. And you would have knocked Oregon out of the national championship picture. You would have won a, a recruiting war in a major year when you have a bunch of recruits. Like you should wish the best like for your enemies and then beat your enemies, which makes you look better. Oh man. I I I, I digress though, Ralph. I digress. Ooh. Um, we have a fan email though. Ralph, you got uh, scolded. You got scolded <laughs> in an email. So this is from SKO Buffs. Here's the email that was blasting Ralph. Here's what it said from the uh, from the previous podcast. It said before I tell you how stupid the comment was on the show, let me clear this up. That one, as I write this. CU has not announced their head coach. And two, the enemy was, is my top two choices for the CU head coaching vacancy. That said, your terrible take that CU fans against him coming in as head coach deserve everything <laughs> Tucker did is so <laughs> ill-informed and classic outside view with a without a clue. Beanie was OC for the two worst years in CU history, and that wasn't his fault. He was a he was part of the problem, though. One, he entirely changed his offense in the middle of the season that contributed contributed to the catering to the cratering. He wanted the head coach job, and he didn't get it. So there's always a power struggle. CU has a huge disadvantage because of the politics of the subsequent regents. He was arrested four times during his years in college. And that would absolutely be used unfairly as a as a club by these regents against him. And most important, the enemy is an NFL style coach and didn't seem to have the patience to be a college coach with the way he interacted, which is a huge role in the toxic environment. Again, I think he's grown and is a better coach now that could flourish in Boulder. But it's totally fair for CU fans to be skeptical. I'll let you respond, Ralph. <laughs> so that was from uh cu at folsom at gmail.com and uh i mean i think it's a good email i really do i think i think that <laughs> saying i you know i i i would hope that there was a little more nuance i'd have to go back and listen to it but i i did i was having a hard time grasping th the idea that university of colorado fans believed very strongly in the wake of losing Mel Tucker that they deserved something more or something better than the Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator who used to be part of the University of Colorado 
um, coaching system and as a player as well. So um, I think that I think that that comment was really just more targeted at the people who were just so outwardly against it. The same people who, after the the hiring of Carl Durrell, who basically said like, I'm done. I'm not buying season tickets. I'm not given any more money. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely done. And I'm embarrassed by this whole thing. And I, I think that was more targeted at the people who said that they would be embarrassed to have the enemy as their head coach, not necessarily the people who would be skeptical because I think that every fan of every program should have a healthy amount of skepticism about every coach in their program. And if you had that, then it wouldn't hurt as bad when Mel Tucker takes a truckload of money and skips town. Right. Uh, and, and I just, you know, uh, Carl Durrell in his um, press conference, he used the buzzword long haul. Right. I'm here for the long haul. How many Colorado fans are going to be stupid enough and, and just desperate enough to hear those words to fall all over themselves? Because Carl Durrell said that he was going to be here for the long haul in the wake of them losing Mel Tucker. Like, no, guys, learn your <laughs> lesson. Dude, stop asking head coaches how long they're going to be there because they're just going to be there until they're not just. Yeah. Just just what can you do for me right now? And so I think I I don't think that I was targeting CU fans who were skeptical. I think that skepticism is healthy, especially in this day and age of just like living and dying with the decisions made by millionaires who were never going to remember your name. So I, I don't know, man. I but I think it's a fair email. I mean, if I was, I I get that it sounded like I was just beating up on Colorado fans, and I, I didn't mean to do that. Kicking them when they're down, Ralph. Good job, buddy. Great job. <laughs> um, <laughs> the last thing up that we got today is college basketball. We got the Pac-12, which is, uh, dude. I have no idea how the Pac-12 standings are what they are. Because on the last podcast, I said, and I still stand by, whoever finishes in the number one and number two seed and gets the bye are going to finish or are going to win the Pac-12 championship. One of those two teams, because I don't see anybody being able to win four games in a row. But Arizona State has gone on to win seven games in a row. And... The UCLA Bruins going on to win five games in a row. Ralph, I I, I cannot. And then also, the Arizona Wildcats are still like number nine in the net rankings. What is going on in, in the conference? Because when we looked at a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, USC and Stanford were at the top of the conference, fighting for the top of the conference. UCLA looked 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 like everybody was thinking, "Oh my God, did we hire the right guy with Cronin?" And now he, uh, Sharif O'Neal, left. Looks like addition by subtraction. Now UCLA actually might have a chance to make the NCAA tournament. I don't know what's going on, Ralph. What what say you? Oh wait, hold up. Well, Washington Washington does still suck though. Yeah, I mean they. Uh... I, I genuinely thought they'd be better. They they got worked by Cal the other day. I'm done. I'm done with predicting that Washington's going to be uh, a tough out. Um, they're they're genuinely trash. But um, <laughs> I don't get it. It really, if it really just comes down to point guard, 
that's that's rough for them because I feel like they got a really talented roster. But uh, I, here, I'll say this: um, I think I'm I'm going to tell on myself a little bit here, uh, a lot of it actually, and say that I am not a fan of advanced statistics when it comes to college basketball. I'm a simple man. Did you win or did you lose? Are you shooting well? Are you playing good defense? Um, there are ebbs and flows. Averages don't mean much to me when they don't take into account who was playing when, especially if it's for the full season and players come and go and are injured and not, and coaching makes a lot of difference and teams evolve and lineups change. Um, so when we talk about like net rating and why someone's is so low and how it's high and how it's going to affect the seedings, the, I just, I, I want to fall asleep. Nothing in the entire world bores me more than getting into the nitty gritty numbers and the bracketology and where somebody's going to be seated and, and why, because at the end of the day, if you want to win in the tournament, you still have to literally beat everybody that, that comes into your purview. You have to win games in the end. Everything comes down to the one statistic that a simpleton like me can understand. Do you have more points than the other team? Yes. Well, why do you get so much credit? So Arizona gets a bunch of credit for a five point loss to Baylor, a four point loss to Gonzaga where they were damn near down by, by 20 and came back in garbage time and two losses to Oregon. Like they're getting more credit for losses. Like they haven't even beat the only ranked team they beat is Colorado. They have not beat another ranked team, but they're so high in these net rankings. I, I'm a analytics and statistical guy. Like I believe in these things, but I also believe that they got to be weighted with 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 human common sense. And this makes no sense to me. Yeah, I just it, if you you're either winning or you're not winning and I've watched enough Arizona games to know that at the end of the game if they're playing with a lead they don't get the ball to Zeke Naji they just jack up threes from the outside and if it honestly if it wasn't for uh, you know Nico Mannion's a special player but he's not taking games over like he should and if it wasn't for Josh Green's energy they wouldn't even be in some of these games that they've managed to win they got to find ways to just get the ball to Zeke Naji he's your best player and, and but they're not doing that at the end with the end of that Oregon game when they were up 64 to 60 I was like they're really just jacking up shots Dylan Smith is out here just launching from all over the place and Zeke Naji's not even touching the ball on any of these possessions it was absolutely ridiculous you know and then Josh Green ends up going down hitting his head on the floor with a couple of seconds left and they leave him in to shoot free throws he misses them both they go to overtime they end up losing and now you know Peyton Pritchard is I think six and two um in his college career against university of Arizona, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, but then you have, you know, UCLA is just working everybody over. And the, and the, all I care about is the conference standings and how that affects the conference tournament. And then it's really obvious who's going to make the tournament and who's not. It, it really is right. Like we've reached the point where you thought maybe it was going to be six. It could still be six, but it's probably going to be five, um, which is a, it's a nice step forward. Um, but you know, from the UCLA, three last year, yeah. two of them were out. One of them was out in the play-in game, and the, in the round of four, round, right? Yeah, and then the other just, one was out in the round of sixty-four. Are you more impressed with Arizona State's seven-game winning streak, or are you more impressed with the way that UCLA has been doing more than just getting close wins? They've, 
you know, they won by seven at Colorado. They won by 11 at Utah, uh, double digit win over Washington. You know, they, they, they've, they blew out university of Arizona on the road. Um, really their only bad, uh, the, the only bad game they've played since the beginning of February was they had a 20 point loss to ASU. So which team is impressing you more right now? Is it, uh, is it, the the Bruins or the Sun Devils? Bruins. Bruins, dude. They looked horrendous in the beginning of the season. I mean, absolutely just they looked trash. I mean, they were really, really bad. I mean, and then, did, you don't you weren't you weren't impressed by their four point win over Long Beach State? No. No. <laughs> and they they've won what? Like ten out of their last twelve games. So yes, that is very impressive. And with Arizona State, to be to be truthful, I know this is going to sound like sour grapes right right now, but Arizona State is having this this like mythical unexplained success this year. Like in 2019-2020. Look at what has That's- happened Look, look at the fortuitous things that have happened uh, to Arizona State. The, or, the Oregon fan in you is, is, is poking out. I can hear the bitterness. <laughs> so they beat Oregon's football team inexplicably. But, oh, but, oh, I almost forgot we have to talk about that conspiracy theory. So, the, so they inexplicably beat Oregon's football team. They beat... Oregon's men's basketball team like how the hell did that happen and then they but even more how the hell did that happen you bad luck's jinxer you went to the game where Oregon's women played against Arizona State how did how does Arizona State's women's team beat Oregon explain yeah. that to me Ralph aside Hon- from you being the jinx and being there I I you know I Arizona State women's basketball is close to my heart because they have a four-year starter in Robbie Ryan, who I've known since she was, you know, before she was even in kindergarten. You know, I lived up in Wyoming and she was my, um, she, she'd like hand out orange slices to the teams I'd coach at halftime, you know, followed me around wearing her older brother's basketball shorts and stuff. And she has four older brothers and sisters and it just became this mega athlete. So when she committed to ASU and I was covering the program, that was the coolest thing in the world to me. Cause you know, two people from a small town in Wyoming and, and you know, someone who I've known since she was little, you know, I go out to see her play every once in a while. But the truth of the matter is I was out there to see what I believe is the number one team in the country. And that I believe has two or three of the top five players in the country. And, uh, and the fact that ASU won that game was my, cause I mean, they matched up again and, and, and Oregon blew them out. But I, I, I think it's just a, a it's an Otson Tempe thing. I I, I think that uh, it's it's just a cursed year for the Ducks when they when they head into when they head into Tempe because that win surprised me more than the than ASU football knocking Oregon out of the hunt for the college football playoff. Yeah, it, it, I, I don't expect. Well, the the uh, good news is is that it'll all be over when the season's over with. So, and then they'll probably Arizona state's softball team will, will mess around and win too. And it'll just be just, <laughs> and the, the, they would have com- completed the, um, the uh, hat trick. And Oh, but, but the PAC 12 would have us 
you know, they would probably have us pay attention to granted. All these sports are important, but they would want us to quote the what has happened in water polo or gymnastics or whatever that we would have to Google and people <laughs> would be like, why are they talking about this anyway? <laughs> um, so, but I don't know. I, I think that when the tournament time comes around, obviously you're going to have the <clears throat> Oregon's going to make it. Arizona's going to make it. Colorado's going to make it. I think USC's on the fence right now. Arizona State, you know, so so Arizona State's probably going to make it, and then you may have either UCLA or Stanford be able to slip in, but probably UCLA is looking like a possibility at this point, right? They got to be. Yeah, they're just playing so well, and I, and I, I, you know. I watch every ASU game and I've, I've watched a little bit of UCLA, not as much as um, not as much as I should. Uh, but I, I will say that, you know, I, I love UCLA's athleticism. I love how much they attack. I feel like defense is really where they're kind of rounding things out. ASU's kind of living and dying by how their kind of small three guard, four guard lineups play. And they got a guy coming off the bench in Alonzo verge, who is a, just a freak with the ball in his hands. Um, and uh, I mean, Bradley Beal was giving him a, a shout out on Twitter the other day, calling him unstoppable and stuff. And, and I, he's definitely got incredible handles. And I feel like if he, I think I had tweeted, if he figures the rest out, he's going to need an accountant for his accountant. And he's averaging over 20 points a game since the turn of the new year off the bench. You know, he he's playing really, really well. I just feel like that they're so dependent on whether or not he keeps this hot streak up right now um, that it's a little bit harder to have faith in in ASU over what's going on at UCLA, which seems to be like the whole team is clicking at the exact same time. But as ASU fans will remind you, these two teams lined up against each other. Uh, they took the court against each other rather, and 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 ASU blew them blew them out just a couple of weeks ago. So. Um, I don't know, but I, I, I will say that, uh, you know, I, I had said last podcast that I was sleeping on Colorado and I think this week we kind of found out why it's just that they, they're not winning the games that matter the absolute most. And so it's hard to have faith in them when they do that. And you've been sleeping on Arizona state too, but, um, who, <laughs> who wins the PAC 12 player of the year for the men? Al, oh, I was going to call him Alize. <laughs> Remy Martin or Peyton Pritchard? Because I think that at, the, at, at this point, those are the only two realistic options right now. Yeah. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, because for some reason, Remy Martin just doesn't have the respect of the conference. Remy Martin had an incredible year last year, and he didn't even make second team. Like, he got snubbed. So I don't see him going from not even making one of the all pack 12 teams to winning player of the year. I think some of that same disrespectful energy will, will kind of take hold and, and should be an issue for him and Peyton Pritchard scoring 38 on the road against U of a, even though he played like garbage in that overtime. Um, you know, I, I think that, that that's going to stick out to some people. Um, and then if it was just, if it was up to me, if I was the one casting the deciding vote, um, I would tell you that I probably need two more weeks to really make up my mind. But if it was over today, I'd say Peyton Pritchard. 
Yeah, I, I I agree. I would say it's Peyton Pritchard right now, but ultimately it's gonna, you, you know, if if Oregon doesn't <laughs> win the conference and Peyton doesn't have some huge games, I think his thirty eight point game the other night just really set him over the edge. Um, but yeah, he he he's got an opportunity to. Uh, I think that Remy Martin still has an opportunity to win the um to win the award and i think on the women's side it's kind of a foregone conclusion that sabrina i and i and ask you regardless there have been some other there are some other women who are doing some fantastic things in the conference and in college basketball in general but you know she's just got so much mo- momentum She's leading the conference. She's leading the nation in assists. All of this is going to be hard to, and all these triple doubles, it's going to be very hard to dethrone her from, you know, from the Wooden Award and from the Pac-12 Player of the Year again. They should just name the award after her, to be honest. <laughs> Dude, she's all-time in NCAA and three-pointers. I mean, all sorts of crazy stats that, sometimes when you're caught up in the moment, you don't realize like, you're like, hold up. This is one of the greatest women's basketball players of all time. Like we're watching like, you know, like, uh, like Sue bird and yeah. Rebecca Lobo. And you know, well, the way the team's built is helpful to her. But when I watch her play, I'm not unconvinced that if she was on a bad team, that she couldn't just turn it on and drop 40 a game. Yep. Exactly. I totally agree with that. Totally agree with that. Um, The last thing, though, Ralph, is this conspiracy theory that I found and wrapped you up in. There's an Oregon, Arizona State conspiracy theory, and it surrounds um, Princess Gill. (laughs) (laughs) This this takes me back to the to the days of Oregon with the bedsheets on the sidelines. Yeah. Well, well, l- listen, there there is a reason cuz so maybe the Arizona State Sun Devils are the Houston Astros. Um <laughs> and so I roped Ralph into this into this conspiracy theory from some Oregon fans about Prentice Gill, who was an analyst at Oregon and he came down to Arizona State to be the wide receivers coach. Yeah, he's the they have two wide receivers coaches and no tight ends coach. So you know you you remember Derek Hagan. Yep. Uh, Derek, yeah. Derek yeah, Derek Hagan. Yeah, I know him. Derek Hagan is sort of over Prentice Gill and equal with Prentice Gill at the same time. <laughs> they just wanted to give Prentice Gill a a, a, a job for yeah. what for for yeah. what uh there is some some you know some uh some deep state rumors some of these dark alley rumors that are going around they said that prentice gill against arizona state that before the arizona state game prentice gill gave arizona state either a playbook or signals that oregon was using and that's why they were having so much trouble offensively and defensively in the game against arizona state because i mean but when you look at it there's the, the reason why people actually believe that this could have happened is because a right after the game, he goes to go um, 
not not too long after the game, he goes to go work for Arizona State. And also, like, that game was almost an outlier for Oregon's defense and offense. So people are taking this as that it could be gospel. You have <laughs> dealt in Arizona, Ralph, with, with people giving away playbooks. With that, with that high school con- conspiracy theory. Uh, well, that, that wasn't even conspiracy theory. That was just a, a conspiracy. But do you think that there's any way Prentice Gill gave away a playbook? I don't think so. I mean, I don't really know. A playbook for a job? <laughs> See, I don't know about that because I, he's just really well connected in Southern California. Um, here, here's here's what I'll say. Uh, Oregon should have ran the ball. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> right like it wouldn't matter how many pages of a playbook that you had if if you just would have run behind that that massive offensive line that was destroying Arizona State's defensive front so I don't I don't know what to say George like I could it be true uh, do people even have playbooks anymore would he have to ha- hand over an an iPad I don't know I just I will say this Prentice Gill has not won himself any fans in Eugene um, by uh, by the way that he's sort of making it sound like he was disrespected by not getting a job from them because he's still young, right? Like he's still he's he's working his way up. He's got a job really really quickly. He's got a job the old fashioned way, which. Um, is, you know, the who you know, <laughs> right? Bec- and it's not who he knows, or, or it's not who knows him, it's who he knows. He They brought him on for, for his ability to recruit. They brought him on, and they brought, what, Chris Hawkins on as well, who's like 24 years old, to also be a position coach. And this is at a school where Ray Anderson hired his old client to be the head coach. Like, the, Arizona State very much represents that it's not who you know, but what, or what you know, but who you know, right? Whether you can recruit, whether um, you have former uh, former employment allegiances, and I think that 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 is, that's the case for most football teams, except for when it comes to the most important thing, calling your offense, because then they go out and bring Zach Hill in from the outside, right? So th- this whole thing is just wild to me. I think that there's a breeding ground to be able to make accusations like this from the Oregon side just because, and I'm smiling super bad right now because I just don't think it matters, but just because of the way he sort of conducted himself, which is like, I'll show them um, when I think most Oregon fans are really happy for any assistant or analyst who has success elsewhere. So I think maybe they're a little bit taken aback by the whole thing. And there's also this belief, this little bit of superiority complex with Oregon that nobody would actually leave Oregon unless there was some sort of arrangement made, right? Or unless they were fired, you know, who would ever want to leave Eugene? And so I think some of those or things- Or unless your dad's in. sick. Or unless your dad's sick. Fair, fair, yes. But <laughs> yeah, uh, best of luck to- to coach Dante, but even I've seen him get some heat. So um, I will say that I do not believe that he did something as brash as giving plays 
to the Arizona state coaching staff, which resulted in him getting a job. Um, what I will say is it doesn't matter because that stuff's already out there. Just like it was out there that Graham was stealing signs and everything like that. At, at once something like that starts to spread around, all you can do is line up and play because you know, it's, there's not anything that's going to come from it. Right. Like some people are going to believe it no matter what, some people are going to poo poo it no matter what. Um, I just think it's silly. Uh, but I love it. I love, I love the messiness of it. Well, what do you think about those, those, uh, messages, those direct messages that were sent from Prentice Gill's account to a fan that were disparaging Mario Cristobal said he lied to Keith Hayward that if he got that he would get defensive coordinator if he got Kayvon Thibodeau uh told Dante Williams he'd get to coach the entire secondary all of this and then the burner account associated with it I will hey guys I will put the the link in this in the description of the um in the description of the podcast so if you guys want to know what we're, we're talking about this is an entire rabbit hole yeah I, I would i i i will end by saying this arizona state hired some young people who are doing young people shit right like uh, th- this is the day and age where everybody's got a burner um you know everybody is worried about what everybody else thinks people who have absolutely no um, impact on your life whatsoever get to have a voice into what it is you're doing. On this show, we just read an email from a Colorado fan that I don't know, that we're never going to meet, you know, saying that my comments were idiotic and stupid and all that. And we gave it time, right? So that's just, that's just today. And these kids are today. And, and you know, Herm Edwards is of the generation of the don't press send generation right uh, but but if you're gonna hire these young guys you're gonna deal with young people shit and young people shit is having burners is putting all their business out there and uh, and i think that prentice gill is gonna learn some lessons as he goes and hopefully he's got the grace and the leash in order to learn them i will say that putting people's messages out there for clout is lame stupid yes 100 it's stupid but it's out there now and we're all reading it and we're all so now we now we're talking about it but i, I will say the decision to do something like that in the first place is corny yes corny lame all of that um but and then he turned around and was petty he was he was petty wop petty print is gill he said oh that la pipeline looking real shaky right now when dante williams left so huh, yeah shots, yeah yeah shots shots fired buddy so if um granted the oregon arizona state quote unquote is not a rivalry yet you know it's not a thing however these are the things how gang how how beef start because amen and i'm more beef more beef all around no i let's make I, Let's make the whole Pac-12 and Arby's. <laughs> Dude, I love it. I love it because it gives you, it just increases the magnitude for every game. I mean, Stanford became a rivalry with USC. That game became important after Stanford started winning games. The Stanford-Oregon became a rivalry because Stanford just kept knocking Oregon out just on some randomness. And then Washington-Oregon, huge rivalry. 
now Arizona State is trying to come in and mix it up. Oh, we're we're recruiting. We're doing this. You know, they haven't really made a big stamp yet, but they are making noise and there are and they are starting to bother people, which is how you, you know, how you really kick things off in the first place. But uh, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time. Appreciate your energy. Uh, Make sure you guys share the feed. Tell a friend about the Pac-12 Apostles. And always, always, always leave a five-star rating. And if you want to contact us, I'm mad at unafraidshow.com. Peace out. Catch you guys later.